0: Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan nonprofit building a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Ria Mehta, and this week Inika, Juliana, Olivia, Sarah, and I spoke with Cyrus McGoldrick, a lyrical artist of Iranian and Irish descent and an American Muslim activist who has worked for and with civil and human rights organizations for the last 10 years. Living in Istanbul, Turkey for the last five years doing doctoral work has given him a great vantage point to watch our United States from a distance. We talk about the generative possibilities of this moment in which, more than ever, space is not a barrier. We can build relationships across divides and people have woken up to injustice because of our ability to see and connect and coordinate communities around the world we talk about his role model, Malcolm X, and the need to move, as Malcolm did, from a civil rights to a human rights perspective, that foregrounds common good and common dreams globally. This is one of my favorite conversations we've had, which is bittersweet because this is my last week on the podcast as I go off to college at Tufts University. I loved my time on this podcast and will now love listening alongside you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, my name is Inika Kurdistane and I'm a rising junior from New Jersey. Um, I'm especially interested in um, how this upcoming election is going to play out, especially among different ethnic groups in America. Hi, my name is Olivia Becker and I'm a rising senior from New York City. And I am, in addition to being a podcaster, Next Generation Politics is director of outreach and engagement. And I'm really passionate about ways we can build bridges across various cultural and ideological divides to promote cross-partisanship. Hi, my name is Ria. Um, I'm a rising freshman at Tufts University, and um, I'm passionate about uh, reducing like hyperpolarization and sparking dialogue between different communities. Hi, I'm Juliana. I'm a rising freshman at American University, and I plan on majoring in political science.
1: My name is Cyrus McGoldrick. I am a PhD student, a doctoral student at Ibn Khaldun University in Istanbul, Turkey, uh, with you know some some years of experience with in movement work in the United States, mostly, and around the world, mostly focused on Muslim communities uh, in New York City and then around the country uh, to some extent as well. I'm particularly interested in uh, situating our work in a human rights framework. Um, and focusing now on the the most difficult cases, you know, being um, political prisoners uh, and ending ending war as much as possible. Uh, these are my major campaigns now. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming. I mean, I know these campaigns are ginormous and immensely yeah. impactful, but I'm sure that your story started, a long while ago so what kind of sparked your passion and interest in this kind of activism and how have you continued it over the past five ten years
1: yeah great uh, it does start a little bit before that even i i uh i was in i was a freshman in high school on 9 11 right and so within two months you know the united states is invading afghanistan uh, a year and a half later invading iraq and you know i know now these wars are Pretty bipartisan, but at the time it was a really controversial issue, you know, it was was, was a a major anti-war movement against it, and as a high school student, you know, I tried to plug in where I could, Uh, and then there were other issues, of course, this was George W. Bush's first term, there were a number of issues where we tried to plug in, and we would go to protests and go to rallies, but, you know, at the time, we didn't really have a very practical idea of how, you know, politics worked, and how power worked, how decisions were made, Uh, it wasn't until much later, um, you know, going through my university education, and then finally really connecting with real activists, people who are on the ground, people who are in the organizations. That's when uh, I was really able to finally kind of get my hands, you know, uh, wrap my head around the strategy and then get my hands on the work. Uh, and it's been in the years since now, really about 10 years since then, uh, that I've tried to do the best I could to, to to work on, to do the work itself, and then also to to connect with folks much like yourselves, you know, who are have similar concerns and who want to uh want to plug in themselves and so it's a great opportunity you know to talk to you guys and to meet you guys and and to do this with folks like yourselves in new york and around the world uh in turkey and iran you know in norway uh wherever we've had the opportunity
0: just for our listeners um could you just give a brief overview about what you do um at the council on american islamic relations and just how your work affects people around the world
1: Sure, sure. So it's been a number of years since I worked at the at CARE at the Council on American Islamic Relations. I, I worked at CARE uh, and ended up running the New York chapter for uh, about two years after graduating uh, from college. Um, in that time, we could talk about that time. It was a very important, you know, chapter of my life, um, and I think it's the organization's work is important. You know, we were primarily focused on casework on cases of discrimination. You know, if someone uh mostly muslims but not only um uh, but muslims in the new york city area for example or new york state you know if they had a, a case of discrimination they perceived that they were uh, discriminated against bullied visited by the fbi uh, at their homes or their workplace a number of cases like that um, they would call they had a number to call and we'd pick up the phone and we'd try the best that we could to deal with that situation uh as best as we could uh then there was also the educational component reaching out to the community visiting the mosques you know visiting houses of worship uh, there was um, interfaith work, or educating uh, people of other faiths or, or other traditions uh, about Islam. Uh, there was the media component, uh, very important, and then there was the policy uh, aspect as well. Uh, when uh, a number of cases, you know, seemed to stem from the same uh, gap, you know, in policy, when certain rights seem to not be protected by law, um, that's when we had, uh, you know, we, we that's when we would build a campaign uh to to try to rectify that so in my two years there for example it was a crazy two years with the nypd with the new york city police department things that are now being echoed you know I'm ha- i am No, I can't say i'm happy to see it i'm glad that some of the things that we tried to deal with are now being recognized um but i'm never happy to see uh injustice you know or or or, or police overreach but for example uh in 2011 you know documents coming out being leaked about a uh, um anti-Muslim propaganda films being used to train NYPD cadets, you know, uh, or six months later into the summer, uh, the Associated Press uh, started reporting about the surveillance program that the CIA had actually built into the NYPD, uh, which, you know, then fed into a multi-year campaign where we worked with advocates who were fighting the stop and frisk policy of the NYPD, with which many of you may be familiar now. and. Resulting in, you know, uh, successful court cases, uh, successful campaign for legal reform uh, from the city council. Um, Again, not solving the whole problem, uh, but at least, you know, it was nice to see some victories. It was nice to, 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 to learn through that process, to help our community learn through that process and to actually see some things change. Uh, Since then, though, I should say, uh, you know, I went on to, to, after that, to work for an organization called the National Coalition to Protect Civil Freedoms, which was much more focused on political prisoners, Muslim political prisoners held in the United States. Uh, These would be people who were accused of crimes of terrorism, for example, uh, or political prosecutions, uh, many cases, you know, where people uh, are having their free speech rights violated. Um, and then I did a lot of local organizing uh, with imams and with mosques in the New York City area and then also with youth uh, in New York and then even in South Florida for a short period uh, and then traveling around the country to do some of that too uh, trying to combine really you know'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very politically minded myself but also even in the mosque setting you know even in the in the in the spiritual setting trying to remind folks in my community you know that our spirituality demands of us you know a uh, uh, our best efforts, you know, in fighting injustice and in trying to promote a better society. So that, that's been my focus, you know, in the years since going back to school, uh, finally, I got back to I got a chance to go back into, to, to studying at the, at the graduate level, but that's just been part of my, you know, uh, efforts to, to make myself better suited, you know, to, to, to help my community empower itself, you know, and, and build the world that we want to see.
0: Um, do you think for our listeners, you could discuss what makes a successful campaign since you've worked with these different civil rights groups for a long time, do you think you could talk about what has made campaigns successful? What may have made campaigns a little less impactful or how you can make, how you can turn a campaign around?
1: I think the first thing, you know, in building a campaign is knowing who you are and knowing who your community is. I think we sometimes throw out the word community. Um, it becomes a an ideal or it becomes an imagined background to the work that we're doing uh as part of the map sometimes we talk about a city community uh, but practically a city community does not really exist right new york city for example which i know best you know is, is a collection of villages you know there's do 12 million people share a community not not really um you know even one neighborhood of brooklyn you know or one neighborhood of the Bronx isn't necessarily one community in a real way. Uh, you know so when I think you know about campaigns and building campaigns, I try to to focus small. I try to focus now, you know to the immediate. I look around me. I look at my family, my tribe, my block, you know my mosque, you know, the schools that we go to, uh, the networks that we have. Now this is community, right? Because we are people with with relationships uh, that we're building from. And when we approach politics this way, remembering that power is about people and money and your ability to move these two uh, i think we uh, are much more powerful and we can be much more effective right in our political work in our campaigning right in our movement work when we step when we come to the table with people behind us or people with us really Um, so that's one of the first things now when building a campaign though uh when i think to my work at care at another organization um, there were three pieces, really to it. There were three steps you know that i that I tried to work through uh, to make sure that we were covering all of our bases. The first is making sure that that campaign responded to an immediate issue. Remember, our phones were ringing off the hook, right because people had problems. You know people were trying to go to work, people were trying to go to school. they felt that they were discriminated against. Right? these were immediate situations that were obstacles in people's lives that were harming them immediately. And so our first, job in any campaign was to deal with that problem you know not every problem is solved the same way for example sometimes a phone call can handle it sometimes a lawyer has to handle it right sometimes there's no real way to get victory in that situation and so you have to just do the best that you can to manage the manage the aftermath Um, but dealing with that personal uh, with the immediate uh, personal situation the second piece was the educational piece and thinking about the different players involved whether that's your own community, the affected community, uh, the frontline community, uh, if you will, um, then our neighbors, our potential allies, uh, politicians, media, you know, uh, institutions yeah. of power, institutions of communication, and thinking about how to educate the different players, you know, the different parts of our community. Again, thinking of this very practically, what do we need to know to be better suited to be able to deal with, you know, the problems that we're facing? You know, what do I need to know? uh, if, uh, the FBI comes to my door, right. If the FBI comes to my door and has questions, uh, or what if the FBI comes to my mother's door? What if the FBI comes to my neighbor's door and their five-year-old son answers the door and opens it? You know, the, the there are, uh, we built campaigns, you know, around the specific issue, know your rights campaigns, which I know in the years since, thanks to the work of like Colin Kaepernick and, and many others, you know, have become, you know, part of the, uh, Um, have become part of the uh, our discourse again it's become uh, uh, commonly used crucial crucial uh, knowing your rights this is part of education Uh, if there are discrimination cases right against muslims in schools how can we educate school administrators how do we educate teachers hospitals how do we educate nurses and doctors except you get the idea the final piece the personal the educational and the third piece is policy you know sometimes there are rights there are that we believe are human rights that we feel that we should be guaranteed. Um, or perhaps there's a right which is in the US Constitution but is not being upheld right at a local level. And then building a policy campaign to make sure that we fill those gaps to try to, you know, protect people as best as possible using the tools of the system. You know, not making the system everything, not making the the state, you know, the the, the be all end all of our work. Um, but keeping in mind that it is an important sphere, an important theater. Uh, for our work. And so these would be the three pieces, I think, to to, to building uh, a campaign, uh, to making sure that you're covering your bases. Uh, It's much more than that. There are many more inputs, you know, uh, that you need to to keep in mind. Um, But I think at least as long as you have a sense of the vision, as long as you have a sense of the goal, uh, you'll have a much easier time of building a strategy towards it. Uh, And this is really my favorite part of the work, something I work with, you know, young people, not just young people, people of all ages, you know, around the world on um, is building a strategy that reaches your goals effectively. Um, And I think these three pieces are part of that.
0: Yeah, awesome. I mean, you mentioned earlier, I think that like how you root your work in uh, human rights and human rights issues. And I was just wondering, you know, in what ways do you do this and how is like the work you do different from other movements and campaigns that we see now in the news. Oh, sure.
1: Sure. Great points. Um, great question. So, you know, I'm very much, um, I'm very much a student of Malcolm X, you know, when I think about my life and I think about, you know, the most impactful people, you know, in my life. Malcolm, you know, just really um, is, is, is perhaps number one on the list. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me about his politics, and and really you see, you know, he was a product of, but also one of the great producers of um, a black internationalism, you know, a a, a radical black politics, uh, which which Bill Clinton just the other day was trying to diminish at the funeral of uh, uh, John Lewis, but I think one that lives on and is very much alive in the streets of America, uh, anywhere people are protesting. The state you know as the state uh, you know Malcolm tried to move his people beyond the conversation about civil rights which limited them to the courts right which limited them to the law uh, which limited to them li- limited them to an American identity right which said you're an American and so therefore you are given the rights that America gives you and or the United States specifically gives you. Um, and his feeling was that the law is not the determinant, you know, of right and wrong, by any means. I mean, this is, it's more obvious then than now, perhaps, but I would argue, you know, that the same dynamics continue. Um, but he felt that human beings were born with rights, that we have certain, um, that we have certain, a certain dignity, right, that, that should be guaranteed. And anything less than that should be resisted um, until we uh, achieve it right uh, for us and for all people um, and even though he moved from you know, even though he moved from a um a more racialist view of the world towards a um you know honestly through islam you know reaching a point where um he was concerned with you know equality and 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 uplifting all people everywhere this understanding that people's freedom was linked you know to other people's he was still you know a, until his death, he was still a Black nationalist because he did want to focus on his people. He did want it, it, to prioritize his people as, as one of them. Uh, when I think about our work now you know, at CARE, for example, uh, you know, I felt really limited in those years you know, by a civil rights framework. You know, again and again, uh, I saw young men and women as well you know, going into prison and then losing every appeal you know uh, fighting cases that were clearly political were clearly uh oppressive and when every court in the land tells you that you know you're guilty within a civil rights framework the organization usually then has to kind of wash their hands of the case because they say well the checks and the balances <laughs> you know have, have left us in this position and for me i mean this this is one of my of my moments of uh, radicalization and I mean that you know in a good way uh, it was because it allowed me to think deep more deeply right about uh, about the law and about the system and to what extent do these checks and balances actually uh, protect us uh, from um, from government oppression from tyranny really uh, and so you know when I went from care to the National Coalition for example that was part of an effort to focus more on the the cases of political prisoners and you know, if you ask me, how do you build an effective campaign, you know, as we were just talking about, focusing on political prisoners is not it. You know, America just does not, we do not have that history, really, of, of successfully campaigning for political prisoners. I think the black movement, the black power movement, has done the best that they can to at least remember their political prisoners. And there are still, you know, dozens, you know, uh, of, of political prisoners in the United States. Uh, Muslims it's just been a different history you know the war on terror we're still in the war on terror Uh, and so it's been difficult for Muslims to really or I should say for any substantive percentage you know of Muslims in America to really be able to elevate those causes you know I'm I'm half Iranian but I'm also half Irish you know Irish people have are 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 amazing at this like if you look at the Irish freedom struggle right keeping in mind that Ireland is still partially occupied by England, uh, they call it Northern Ireland. But this is their two-state solution. The you know they still remember all of their political prisoners. You know they're still raising money for their families. You know they're supporting their families on the street, this from Dublin to Belfast. Um, and so coming you know to the Muslim community, I had hoped you know that we would have the same attitude. You know, um, but you know this this war on terror is a comprehensive effort, and um, it's that's made it only that much more important, I think, right? that especially as the war on terror has become a bipartisan effort. Um, everything that Bush did, Obama essentially normalized and Trump has now taken that infrastructure to another level. Uh, I think it's been extra important you know, that we maintain a human rights framework, that we remember that you know, we have our own idea you know, about what dignity means you know, what it is that we're guaranteed as human beings or should be. Of course, no one is going to guarantee that for you. Uh, we have to do that for yourself uh but this comes from our own sense of self-worth and our sense of love for ourselves and for other people that we want to see this for other people even if you're don't feel oppressed right now you would want to alleviate you know the oppression that other people are facing and i think this comes from that framework this is why this is really important to me uh this is not to take away like i said this is not to take away from the work of other organizations i'm constantly battling you know with my friends and colleagues you know about where we should prioritize you know where should we place our resources these are valid distinctions uh i think you know when you look at the way that Malcolm and uh, Martin, you know, uh, Dr. King uh, talked about each other when they were alive, you know, you would think that they, they hated each other, but I don't think that was the case. You know, it was a collegial collegial uh, sense of, uh, of competition, but striving towards, you know, a goal which was almost the same with differences, of course, but, uh, but I think that it's important that we uh, um, That we That we, you know, maintain our our, our 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 ideas and not get too lost right in the in the in the uh moving goalposts, right of a, of a civil rights discourse which is changing day by day and perhaps changing working against this
0: um i wanted to go back to a point you made before about like the police reform and um certain like policing issues that you had mentioned are there like in terms of like social justice for like the muslim community in america like what are like some parallels you see to like the BLM movement and what are some like differences because I feel like um like I'm just I guess I'm like curious as to like how like groups or marginalized communities who have like different issues but also like the similar issues yeah. like advocate differently or similarly for themselves right
1: right amazing uh, uh, amazing question uh something we're constantly working through uh I sh- I should begin by saying, of course, you know, Muslims are, have tremendous overlap with the black, you know, quote unquote, the black community or communities, because about half of Muslims in America are black, you know, are African-American from the, the African diaspora. Um, not, and that's not even including more recent immigrants uh, from African nations, uh, but from the, 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 the diaspora of enslaved African peoples. Um, and the other half. Being made up of immigrants or the descendants of immigrants uh, in the years since, or converts, I should say, also a number of, uh, of people who converted uh, later from other traditions. Now, what that means then, you know, for Muslims, if there's a unified American Islam, there isn't, you know, but if we were to look at, uh, you know, American Islam in the, the BLM moment, you know, or this decade, right, of work, this chapter uh, of, of work for black rights and black liberation you'll see a very divided community you know we have um i think that many of us are products of the black radical tradition like i said malcolm is our we consider him our imam you know like he's our leader you know in so many ways like he is really um if it weren't for him you know uh, islam in america would be a very different phenomenon if it would be here at all i'm not i'm not even sure what that would look like uh it would be very difficult to predict um But then there are many other people, there are many uh, uh, other Muslim communities, right, which are made up of mostly upper class, you know, professional uh, immigrants or their descendants first or second generation uh, who have sought whiteness, you know, who have tried to uh, gain acceptance, right, in the American system, in the American power structure, um, who have a very white politics, you know, have a very upper class, you know, politics, and this isn't to demonize them you know it's that's what some people wanted you know that's what some people came to america for right was trying to 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 attain that for themselves um and that then comes at the expense of right uh people who are struggling for their rights i think a lot of people came to the united states some of them didn't know the history of the country they didn't think of america as a settler settler colonial state you know they didn't think of it as they didn't think of black people as a nation within a nation You know, colonized people. It's uh, that analysis wasn't there. People came seeking opportunity, seeking safety, perhaps. You know, the political analysis wasn't always there. And I don't, I don't want to demonize our elders. You know, they, they, they did what they could. Um, But today, you know, you would see a a confused map. You know, you'd see a complicated map. You know, you have Muslims who a month ago were in the streets, you know, protesting and rising up. I hate I hate calling it looting, but but rising up, you know, and then there were Muslims who were protecting their corner stores, you know, with guns prepared to shoot protesters like it, it's it, it was a mess. You know, it was a it was a, convers- it was a really messy conversation um, that then, of course, went online, um, you know, that goes to the goes to the Internet, to the social media networks. Um, it's It's been complicated. But anyway, I you know, I think that in these years, uh, I, I should say, um, you know, that. Many of us have have tried, you know, to make these connections, and I think it's been successful in many ways. You know, I think a lot of people who are Muslims who are trying to do political work are plugged in, you know, to these networks, are working very closely with uh, Black liberation activists, um, are working very closely with uh, Latino activists, working with uh, folks from every almost every community that you can imagine, almost every political community that you can imagine. Uh, Muslims are working in alliance, in coalition. With a lot of those, and I think the BLM moments no, uh, is no exception. You know, in 2013, from 2011 to 2013, when we were specifically working on um, fighting the surveillance program and stop and frisk in New York City, um, our best allies were the people who were working against stop and frisk. You know, we came as a community with a specific issue, right, and we met communities who had a slightly different issue with the police, right and it just created a great opportunity you know for us to 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 put it on the board <laughs> to put it on the whiteboard and and look at you know how do our issues line up what kind of solutions would solve both of these problems at once actually it wasn't only these two you know there were there were homeless you know uh, advocates you know who were advocating for 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 the homeless there were uh uh, LGBT communities who were now, and the trans thing was kind of new back then. Relatively, it wasn't even accepted as it is as it is now, uh, or so commonplace. Uh, who were, um, you know, focusing on fighting the specific discrimination against trans people by the NYPD. It was, this was, it was atrocious violence uh, being waged on them. Uh, we were all around the same table. You uh, know, this was. Uh, I remember going to a meeting, and it was the first time someone asked me for my pronouns. You know, I was I was I was shocked. I come from the from the mosque. I, I didn't think there would be any question about what gender I would uh, represent. But it was new back then. But we learned from each other. You know, we were we were um, we ate together. You know, we marched together. Uh, we uh, and we won. I mean, you know, it didn't solve everything. You know, there's there's still so much more to do. Obviously, obviously, the NYPD is still at war uh, with so many of our communities. I think, you know, you get one victory and then they. You know, they pivot a little bit and they change the acronym on the program and it goes underground for a little bit, little while longer. Uh, but at least, you know, at least uh, it was a great example for me. It was very important, formative in my life, you know, for, for how we can work together to achieve, you know, a common goal uh, or at least complementary goals.
0: That's all for today, friends. I'm editor Sarita Adabala signing off for all of us at Next Generation Politics. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends, or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. Thanks for listening.